بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم in the name of Allah the most beneficent the most merciful I testify that there is no true God worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad is Allah's true slave and messenger may Allah salam be upon the noble prophet and the believers of his family and the noble companions and those who follow on their path until the day of resurrection we continue the discussion on the uh, deviant sect known as the Quranite and uh, this is the third talk concerning them and we have covered in the last two talks uh, some historical perspective of their emergence in the uh, Indian subcontinent and in India, Pakistan and the, and the East and uh, we're going to move now to the uh, central area of the uh, Arab world and uh, to look at the situation uh, vis-a-vis the Sunnah and uh, the doubts concerning the Sunnah and who raised them and the origin of that (coughs) first of all the first focus will be upon Egypt because uh, in Egypt as you know the presence of Al-Azhar as an institute of Islamic learning by itself gives Egypt a special uh, stance in terms of being uh, targeted by those who were so much westernized in their education in the early 19th century those who went to study in France and in England uh, many of them returned with uh, westernized concepts and uh, materialistic concepts and uh, they began (coughs) to spread this or establish this influence aiming at transforming Egypt into a piece of Europe so they started working on the political scene and then they moved to the social and religious matters gradually this uh, began in the early 19th century when uh, Muhammad Ali Basha sent the first uh, delegate to Europe for education and then to France and another one in 1826 and also this intensified during the era of Ismail Basha who's the grandson 
عليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته. Yes. Muhammad Ali Basha. And this intensified during the uh, era of Ismail Basha, who is the grandson of Muhammad Ali, uh, who opened the doors of Egypt for the European influence. And this could be due to his uh, early life where he spent uh, most of his childhood and uh, youth uh, in Europe uh, between uh, Vienna in Austria and between and Paris. And uh, the very first thing he brought is that he uh, legislated that all the government workers should wear the European dress then the situation even became worse than before with the coming of Jamaluddin al-Afghani Jamaluddin al-Afghani to Egypt in the year 1870 when he was invited to come by Riyadh Basha and he attempted to take a platform in Al-Azhar but he wasn't able to succeed so he took a home in the Jewish district in Cairo shortly to transform it as a center for meetings with uh, many of those who were uh, enthusiastic to his uh, mostly secular tendencies And from those who were attending was Muhammad Abdu, Saad Zaghloul, Abdul Karim Salman, Ali Madhar, Adib Ishaq, Salim al Naqash. All of these people had impact later on the situation in Egypt in terms of the way of thinking towards the religious and secular issues as will come Al-Afghani, Jamaluddin Al-Afghani was the first to pronounce that Egypt is for the Egyptians and this really brought brought him the support of the Jews and the Christians in Egypt because in this motto that he rose there was the focus on melting the religious bonding in the society and replace it by the nationalistic aspect add to that that Al-Afghani used to believe in the unity of religions and the unity of the three religions and he used to see that its differences or the differences in the three religions is uh, something made by its leaders 
later on he could not stay in Egypt because there was some awareness of his uh, motives and his actions so he was uh, kicked out of Egypt but then after him Muhammad Abdu began to work to uh, fit the Sharia laws to accept the European civilizations especially when he reached the position of Ifta of the Mufti and his opinions in this meshing between the Sharia and the civilian and the European civilization had its impact on what was called then the reform, the social or the religious reform by those who came after him and which really was aimed towards minimizing if not eliminating totally the role of the religion in the country and to keep it something individual only this type of movement was carried on by the Egyptian uh, writers and people in the working in the literature or specializing in literature more than any of the sectors of the social of the social sector in the country why? because of so many of these uh, delegates that were sent to Europe came back and then they took many positions from uh, in, in the media and uh, supported also by the British who were then occupying Egypt and these were two these uh, these educated people were divided or were influenced by either the French literature or the French culture or the uh, English lecture, lecture uh, rather uh, uh, English uh, culture And if one really evacuate, if one, okay, let me come back and then. Uh, okay. All right. Can you hear me, Sister Aziza, now? Can you hear me, please? Anyone else? 
Okay. All right. Alhamdulillah. Tayyib. If we. Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If one looks at uh, the produce of this culture, this mostly westernized cultural movement in Egypt, we find it focused on three aspects. The first, some aimed at denouncing the religion entirely. accepting only that which is physically proven the second found in the sunnah hindrances to his objectives of so called development and modernization in matters of religion this led him or led them to denounce the sunnah as a source of legislation and they said that the Quran is suffice to establish an Islamic life in principle and in detail the third aspect was denouncing parts of the sunnah only because they considered it unaccept, unaccept, sorry, unacceptable to the intellectual judgment and to the Western thought. So, people differ, therefore, between those who entirely want to reject religion, those who entirely want to reject the Sunnah, and those who want to partially reject certain aspects of the Sunnah. And the degree of doubt differed amongst this intelligentsia, this academic people some of them claim that the message is something which could be acquired by stri striving for noble objectives and others who accused the most trustworthy of mankind Muhammad وسلم, in writing the Quran and in innovating its wording and the other still others considered that religious books including the Quran are contradictory by or in the sense that they don't 
stand to face the sciences and what the sciences had proven in many fields which led them to believe that the information in the Quran and its miraculous aspects and rulings cannot be taken until proven by experimental sciences and knowledge secular knowledge and some of them even doubted the Meccan Quran saying that at that time writing was not feasible some of them went to the extreme of denying the creator and denying the soul and denying eternity from the matters of the unseen and they looked at the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam after they stripped him from the message saying that the hijra, the migration and what followed it from the occurrences are just regular matters which were prepared in advance by a human intellect and in accordance with certain conditions others were thinking of the Prophet ﷺ as someone who lifted the injustice from upon the weak and therefore they limited the Prophet ﷺ and the message to mean a revolutionary and a revolution of socialism and that Muhammad وسلم, stood up only to or stood up only against capitalism these are these are the major concepts that existed in in Egypt and developed over since the beginning of the nineteenth uh, century and the early twentieth century and to some aspects still amongst some of them with different degrees of deviation up till now 
take for example one of them by the name of Zaki Mubarak who want to the conclusion that the message of Muhammad sallallahu is acquired through mental exercise or through the learning of the moralities of the nations before or a struggle to attain high and noble objectives this is this kind of thinking is really a an old colonial thinking and it was initially adopted by a Sayyid Ahmad Khan which we talked about in India earlier and that's which prompted him to make interpretations of the Quran through secular presentations opposing the miracles and the like of the unseen and, the, and he considered that prophethood is an objective which can be acquired through this mental exercise so prophethood according to such concept is a human objective, a human natural objective. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And the one who brought this, these ideas and supported them was that person who himself claimed prophethood, Ghulam Ahmad al Qadiani, in India, as it is known. and he executed it before these thoughts developed in Egypt by almost half a century so the idea is not something new to the Muslim world those from such intelligentsia and academia mostly westernized in their concepts of religious and social concepts went to the degree of teaching their students 
that the Quran is subject to criticism like any other book and from those on top of them was Taha Hussein and Tawfiq al-Hakim Zaki Mubarak Kamil Mansoor so forth and mostly most courageous quote unquote exceptionally was Taha Hussein Dr. Taha Hussein spent most of his life on this inciting the students in the Arabic literature classes to criticize the Quran saying that the Quran is not but like any other book subject to criticism and that knowledge which he refers to as you know the secular knowledge makes it incumbent upon you to overlook its sanctity which you think of and you believe in and consider it like any other book and say your word concerning it and that each one of you should specialize in criticizing something from this book either from the literal aspect or the meaning etc another one of this school mocks at the creed of reward and punishment in the hereafter His name is Mahmoud Muhammad Al-Khudayri. Others went to the extreme even of mocking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Denying the Creator and the soul and eternity. His name is Al-Zahawi.
had another, another by the name of Ibrahim Abdul Qadir Al-Mazini chose that Muhammad Sallallahu migration to Medina was purely human and natural revelation has nothing to do in directing him to immigrate another one describing the Prophet as the socialist revolutionary and this his name is Bendali Al-Jawzi a Palestinian by the name of Bendali Al-Jawzi he graduated in the from the University of Baku under of course the communist rule then those who denied the Prophet's Sunnah in its entirety if one looks at their specialty and specialization will find them parasites on the religious knowledge so they came from law, literature, medicine. Very few of them who denied the Sunnah after some legal studies from them is an MD by the name of Muhammad Tawfiq Sidqi who died in 1338 of Hijra he said Al-Islam is the Quran only Second, infamous by the name of Mahmoud Aburiya, he is really the one who compounded most of the shubhat of the doubts concerning the Sunnah. His works were published in 1951.
and then in the as a book in 1957 under the title concerning the prophetic tradition Another one by the name of Abu Shadi Ahmed Zeki died in 1955 in 1895 at an age of 20 in the year 1912 and stayed 10 years in England then he returned to his country and what concerns us is his book Thawratul Islam The Revolution of Islam where he in it mixed the truth and falsehood and mocked at the Sunnah and its collectors and he claimed that all the hadiths are fabricated and from his exaggeration he incites the Muslims to take as much as they can from the American civilization because to him the American life in thinking and in practice is close to Islam uh, Okay, Abu, Abu Shadi Ahmed Zaki So he caused the Muslims to adopt the American life because he said it is in thought and practice most welcome is close to Islam but rather it is the peak of Islam he said the principles of Islam in theory and practice is most close to the American civilization and the American life in way and thinking so would the Muslims he said give this firm reality the the care it, it, it uh, demands and thus, they will, and thus they will succeed and he said quote in his book Thawrat al-Islam the revolution of Islam he said the defense which America performs defending the the free world is 
the same defense which was the banner of which Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam raised end of quote and he also uh, shared in international <laughs> he shared in uh, international movements to bring the uh, unity of religions Another one by the name Another one by the name of Muhammad Abu Zaid al-Damanhuri uh, he, he authored two books One called Az-Zawaj wa Talaq al-Madani fil-Quran The Civic Marriage and Divorce in the Quran And the other explaining the Quran by the Quran he considered the Sunnah as a catastrophe on the Muslims and on the deen wishing it would be burned and extinct and that the beginning one should start with Sahih al-Bukhari then Muslim so that people will feel will get rid rather of the evil they contain in the court others like the the lawyer Ahmed Afendi Safwat He considered that the, the messenger as a leader and as a judge the rulings came concerning individual matters or his rulings came to be of a foundation and a general foundation and in this case it becomes like quote a law from the man of the authority the same authority could be established by another ruler in any other time after the Prophet and therefore he would be qualified to abolish these laws as 
as it is entailed to him by being a person in authority just like the Prophet ﷺ was a person in authority before him another one by the name of Hussein Amr he considers that the legal rulings cannot be taken except there is no way to take it except from the wise book, the Quran and as the Sunnah he said the Sunnah cannot be trusted no one can depend upon concerning the rulings Another one also was by the name of Zainab Ahmed. Of course, not to forget the role of the uh, Christian uh, journalists and media. He used to publish and advocate and support these concepts now there was also the denial of the sunnah in part or partially some aspects of it like denying the singular narrations which is called Ahadith al-Ahad from them was uh, Muhammad Rashid Rida Rahimahumullah Rahimahumullah in 1935 who died in Also, Ahmed Amin, Ahmed Amin, who died in 1954, where he rejected some ahadith because. like what was earlier discussed that they looked at it as something which is or cannot be proven experimentally and by secular science And from those also 
is is Muammar al-Qaddafi the known man of Libya who denies the Sunnah of sayings of the Prophet ﷺ. He does not accept it unless it is uh, confirmed to him. Anan, a researcher who considered Al-Mahdi unless it is uh, yani confirmed with him Sister Muhammad this researcher Abdullah Anan Denied Al Mahdi and uh, Jesus and Isa and considered these as uh, big lies. Of, of Jesus coming and of the Mahdi's coming also from those is a Sheikh Muhammad or Mahmoud Shaltut Ahmed Fawzi, another one, who is a graduate from the University of London, suggested in his book Al-Muqattam that Muslims should change the manner of Salah. As a logical consequence of his rejection of some of the Sunnah and in order to make closeness to the Christians <coughs> Alhamdulillah to come close to the Christians so he uh, 
call the Muslims to imitate the Europeans in Salah by sitting on a chair and have a table before in front of the Muslim prostrating on it Okay, now let us make yes, Ajib <laughs> Allah Ajib let's make a comparison between uh, between those who denied the Sunnah from the Indian subcontinent and those who speak the Arabic tongue the first basic commonality is that both were influenced by the western thinking as a logical consequence to the colonial effects this is a major commonality between the two However, the two movements differ in the following. Those speaking the Arabic, their movement, and up till now and to a great extent, walhamdulillah, is not organized mostly amongst individuals sometimes getting together however in India in the greater India it was more organized and uh, it had even official recognition in the amongst the the Arabic speakers from those who deny completely and or partially it's more dangerous than those from India because it attempts to nullify the Quran and the Sunnah and the message and the messenger and all that is related to Islam amongst those who totally deny of course however we don't see this to the same extent in the sense that in India it doesn't cover all of these objectives that we heard now of and still remains amongst the Arabic speakers those who partially deny the Sunnah although some of them, not all of them, some of them their criticism really is more towards the Sunnah at large but they don't really make it quite open 
The movement in India, on the other hand, is or outnumbers those in Egypt, that in Egypt and in the uh, Arabic speaking lands. It outnumbers them as well as in the intellectual publications. Fourth difference is that those deviants in the in Egypt in particular were alhamdulillah were opposed and many of them were punished alhamdulillah Contrary to that in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, so this is sufficient as to places other than Egypt, it is almost the same amongst the Arabic speaking people, it's almost the same foundations. So that's why we took Egypt and we'll focus on it. but the similar concepts are to a larger extent present in other parts of the uh, Muslim Arab world now we come to the core and crux of the classes the misconceptions of the Quranites regarding the Sunnah and their refutation the misconceptions of the Quranites regarding the Sunnah and their refutation earlier in the first talk we spoke about the meaning of the Sunnah linguistically and technically, meaning Islamically it is worth mentioning and it is very important to note that that the majority of the Muslims are in agreement that the Sunnah is the second legislation the second source of legislation in Islam after the Noble Quran if the narration is authentic so we're talking about the authentic sunnah the companions may Allah be pleased with all of them used to deduct the Islamic ruling from the noble book the Quran and from the explanation of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and so many times so many times the verses were sent upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam with general 
meaning and the Prophet ﷺ would detail it to his companions either by saying or action like the verses there you go Uh, like the verses concerning the Salah and the Zakah and the Hajj and the like knowing well that these verses did not mention anything concerning the conditions nor obligations of Salah nor how to start with it and what is the sign for its termination add to that the fact that there was no mention of performing the Salah daily or yearly or once in a year nothing of this is mentioned in the noble Quran so the sunnah came to detail this generality by complying to the Prophet sallallahu teaching regarding these revelations commanding the Prophet the Prophet commanding the companions and the rest of Muslims to follow him here listen to the hadith of the Prophet والسلام, who said كما أصلي. pray as you had seen me praying those trustworthy narrators from the companions and those who followed them told us and related to us the manner the sayings the general the restricted the detailed and had it not been to the sunnah or for the sunnah then some of the Qur'an which is described as clarification for everything would have been complex issues unknown in this respect the Salah and Zakah and its particularities would have become a source of doubt concerning the religion and in practice doing it would have been impossible Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informed us in surah al-nahl 16.44 وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ
we have this verse, please? Right. With clear signs and books, we send the messengers. And we have also sent down unto you, O Muhammad, the reminder and the advice, meaning the Quran, that you may explain clearly to men what is sent down to them, and that they may give thought. Take also Surah An-Nisa 4, 105. إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ لِتَحْكُمَ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ بِمَا أَرَاكَ اللَّهِ إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ لِتَحْكُمَ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ بِمَا أَرَاكَ اللَّهِ Surely we have sent down to you, O Muhammad, the book, the Qur'an, in truth. That you may or that you might judge between men by that which Allah has shown you. So be not a pleader for the treacherous. So, what is this making it clear except his sayings or his actions or his approvals of certain things which occurred before him, in front of him, seeing it, witnessing it? or something reaching him, not denying it. All of these matters, the scholars are on the opinion that they refer to as a sunnah tashri'iyah, the legal sunnah, the legislative sunnah. The sunnah, as you have heard earlier, came under attack in the past and in our times from those who prescribe themselves to Islam and their doubts focus upon the following the first doubt the first misconception rather. they are saying that suffice to us is the noble Quran because it covers the religious matters, all the religious matters through explanation and details and thus there is no need for the Muslims to the Sunnah as a second legislative source so what's the need for the Sunnah and this came earlier on the tongue of Abdullah Jakralwi, if you remember the name from the first talk he said that the book of Allah is perfect, complete, detailed doesn't need any explanation 
nor it doesn't need the explanation of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So I think he is uh, this person is bothered somehow. Here comes a Qurani. So he said that the book of Allah is perfect, complete, doesn't need an explanation, nor to an an explanation from the Prophet ﷺ or a clarification or teaching, uh, you know, all of that. The refutation of this misconception. There is no doubt, please listen carefully to the refutation. There is no doubt that the Qur'an comprises the entire fundamentals of Sharia. Please let's write this down and underline if possible the fundamental. Comprises the entire fundamentals of Sharia. Okay, there is no doubt that the Quran comprises the entire fundamentals of the Sharia and it brought few details of the Sharia. In it, there is few details or there are few details of the Sharia. Few. as to their claim to the Quranites claim that the Quran covers the every bit of detail and every measure one this is a big lie which the reality of the Qur'an testifies against it. Consider, had the Qur'an been as these Qur'anites claim, then where is the number of prayers obligated the number of five prayers where is it in the Quran obligated during the day and night not to mention the number of raka'ah for every farida for every fard where is in the Quran the threshold for zakah of camels, cows, sheep, gold, silver. All these details, the entirety of these details that you just heard, add to that even the details of Hajj. 
the Prophet ﷺ was interested in making that clear and explained. And had the Quran covered all these details which we all need in our deen as these people claim then Allah would not have commanded his messenger to clarify to mankind and wouldn't have commanded the Muslims to obey the messenger and to abstain from what he calls them to stay away from and therefore the conclusion from this is that there is no mention in the Quran of every bit of detail concerning the Sharia rather fundamental matters and from the fundamental matters established in the Quran is that we should act in accordance with the way of Muhammad sallallahu as in Surah Al-Hashr 15 verse 7 وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ Surah Al-Hashr verse 7 Surah Al-Hashr or should be 59 and whatsoever the messenger gives you take it and whatsoever he forbids you abstain from it and fear Allah Verily Allah is severe in punishment And the thing which really And the thing which may rather Have led them to this wrong conclusion Is their misunderstanding is their misunderstanding of the following verse in the Quran Surah Yusuf وَلَكِنْ تَصْدِيقَ الَّذِي بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ وَتَفْصِيلَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Listen to this word Tafseel
Indeed, in their stories, there is a lesson for men of understanding. If the Quran is not for statement, but a confirmation of Allah's existing books and other scriptures and a detailed explanation of everything. Look, please, under, uh, let's have this word, explanation of everything and a guide and a mercy for people who believe. Let's have explanation in, in capital letters. This is the correct meaning of tafsil. Tafsil means But what they understood from the Urdu Is that Tafsil Comes to mean The mentioning of Details However, in the Arabic, it means clarification, explanation, because tafsil is in opposite to generalization. So therefore, it means explaining things so that there can be no confusion regarding them. So that's why At-Tabari Rahimahullah said that it is tafsil, clarification as to what all what the slaves need from clarifying the command of Allah and his prohibitions, his halal, his haram, his obedience, disobedience. And Al-Imam Al-Shawkani Rahimahullah said It is said that what's intended intended here is not what is entailed by the generality, but the intended is the foundations and the basics. Therefore, this tafsil tells that the Quran comprises all the fundamentals and the basics without mentioning the details every minute or major details concerning living and concerning death and so forth and the return so this is the first misconcept and its refutation we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect the Muslims from all ways and means of misguidance والحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم